be full of fright. I dreamt that I was with the devil below in his great big fiery hall, where the devil was giving a ball. I checked my coat and hat and started gazing at the merry crowd who came to witness the show, and I must confess to you, there were many there I knew. Hello. Hi. At the devil's ball. At the devil's ball. Before we get started today, I want to emphasize that nothing in tonight's episode is intended to be anti-Semitic. We're all about whistling in the dark of the shadow that religion casts, and a part of that darkness is the othering of Jews in the Middle Ages and beyond. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Dispatchist Podcast, a friendly conversation about eternal damnation. Uh, I'm Jacob. Hey, I'm Jamin. I'm Victoria. And uh, this week, I think we'll be talking about what does the devil look like, which is a little off topic for a top podcast about hell because it's more about the management. <laughs> well, somebody's <laughs> got to run the place. That's true. <laughs> but, uh, did anybody bring anything to the party? Oh, hey, I uh, actually brought some cinnamon and kidney empanadas. Uh, I had lots of cinnamon running around. I'm great with dough. And there was a kidney in the refrigerator. I don't know if you were saving that for anybody, but... No, no, no. And food should be a challenge. Okay, well... Was it a a kidney for a transplant that you were saving? It was just in a little bag with some little red crosses on the side. I I don't know what it meant. There was no expiration date, so I presume it's fresh. That's fine. I mean, you know... Kidneys are a dime a dozen. Yeah, if it didn't have anybody's name on it, it's leftovers. (laughs) Well, I brought some Fireball whiskey because I think that that's a suitable drink for the Party City devil in all of us. Or as you you called him uh, once, the Hallmark devil (laughs) with red tights and plastic horns. I almost could have gone for uh, Arrogant Bastard Ale, which has a really nice demon on the front. Yes. Would have been Uh kind of this week in particular on topic. A little, maybe a little too classy. No, oh, I, I don't know if it. Nah, hmm, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Have you well, had Fireball? Yeah, it's a, like <laughs> it's a bottle of regret. <laughs> well, I brought the entertainment, which is being cast into a snow-covered pit with the greedy and being treated like cows under a spark-filled rainstorm as the Virgin Mary watches. Ooh, she's a perv. Yeah, oh no, she's she is she is quite the 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 watcher there. <laughs> Lurkin Mary. Her and Beatrice, I mean, they are just staring. <laughs> so on Twitter, at The Dispatchist, I've been playing around with the Folklore Thursday community. Every Thursday they put out an ask for the folklore community to um, just post something relevant to topic. And last week it was, um, no, th- two weeks ago it was the sea and the ocean. So I got to do a little thing on Leviathan. who's one of the name brand demons. And Mm -hmm. last week, the topic was actually hell, or the underworld at least. So I talked about grilli. Do you you know this word? This is a new word for us. I learned it from you. Okay. So um, grilli are those weird little homunculi... Homunculi? (laughs) Wow. The little beings that are all over the place in Hieronymus Bosch pictures. uh, Just weird little distorted hybrid imps. Mm-hmm. They're called grilli, which variously means pig and cricket. Why are we not using this word every single day? Because it's got Latin and Greek roots, and we don't know where the double I goes. Yeah, that's true. It's, it looks like Welsh. It does look like Welsh. So this week's Folklore Thursday topic is major monsters from mythology. Mm-hmm. And I learned that Cerebus has three bodies. <gasps> 
What? Yeah. Uh, Euripides says this, which basically means it's three dogs. And that's less magical somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, anybody could just get three dogs and just some duct tape and, you know, yeah. there you go. A really good collar. <laughs> Last time I tried to break into a junkyard, one dog was enough to keep me away. If there were three pit bulls guarding all the delicious rubble out there, I, mm-hmm. yeah, Kerberos can have three bodies and a snake for a tail. That's perfectly fine. Yeah, but at some point in time, like three bodies, three heads, I don't know. Yeah, that again, that just seems like some kind of, you know, DIY <laughs> shtick. Some party city stuff going on right there. So I suspect this is going to be the goat episode. Yeah, no, yes. no arguments there. Okay. Nope. It, it might be the first of the goat episodes. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. So uh, let's uh, get started talking about senior management. Uh, what does the devil look like? I think any good 20th century evangelical Christian would say we don't know or anything or some variation of the question has no meaning, but that's not very much fun. So we said that. Let's move on to more fun. At the last Halloween party I went to, I went with a young lady who wore red horns okay. and a miniskirt. Okay. And fishnet tights. And uh-huh. she had a trident, a red sparkly trident. Okay. The miniskirt's off model. I mm. didn't object. Fair. Can I tell you that that, is, that describes exactly the devil on one of my uh, tarot cards? What tarot deck is that? It is the Halloween deck. Of course. Yes. Uh, f- fishnets and everything? Yeah, I'm going to hold You probably can't see it, but... No, that maybe makes for really good podcasting. She is cute, though. Wow. I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you later, <laughs> but it's like an R-crumb depiction of a hot girl devil yeah. wearing a blue kind of bustier slash mini dress with fishnets and biker boots and a trident. We do have the classic trident and horns there, so mm-hmm. yeah, let's start there. Uh, why trident? Why horns? Why red? Why red? I was looking at an article in Aletheia, A-L-E-T-E-I-A dot org, which is kind of like a slightly fluffy Catholic saints and articles blog. It was good. It was a good start. I think it was a little bit maybe under-researched, but we're here to help. And uh, they'd start with the pitchfork, which they kind of floating as an as above, so below thing, because like Zeus had his lightning bolts and Poseidon had his trident and Pluto, I Pluto? I guess Pluto, Hades, had a duodent, mm-hmm. which is like the two-fork version of the trident. But nobody really cared, so it became well, a trident over time. It'd be a bident. Bident, bident yeah. A like bident. The, like the double mint gum sort of thing. Yeah. And so they were saying that this is kind of likely the origin of this. It's just kind of that imagery from Hades carried over, which, which makes sense. Hmm. I think I disagreed with them on the goat legs, though, and uh, why red tights? I just think they're really simplistic on this. The red tights thing, they said, well, Disney animation, earliest 20th century advertising copy. And that's just, that's shallow. I think it goes way further back than that. I wonder, does the red have something to do with lust? You want to convey sin in the simplest way possible for the peasants. Color coding is is potentially a very good way to go. And the trident, I wonder, I mean, it's for poking, right? It's just, it's like a big barbecue fork. Like if you're going to be roasting souls, you got to have something to turn them with. But also Mm. a scepter. Uh, Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, that that's that's that sounds sound. The the red carries back to medieval uh, morality plays. Again, we'll go there. You can see like images of their devils frolicking around in red, and that would show up from the stage. Mm-hmm. I think maybe at some point in time, like red and white flipped because if you go back to looking at like Santa Claus over the years. Well, he's a bad example. Santa Claus is a terrible example. I know. So Santa um, yeah. Claus. He's, he stayed, he's a jerk. He stayed red. But um, early on, like red was blood of Christ sort of thing and was a symbol of purity. But I think that it kind of transmorphed into just kind of scary blood color. It is the most alarming color we have. So hmm. I don't know. But it's yeah. the color of fire. Exactly. In Japanese culture, is white evil? White is death. Ah, okay. That's right. And okay. And I don't know if it's Japanese, but in Chinese, red is joy. Mm-hmm. Wedding dresses are red. Then you have like red envelopes of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the Hongbao. But one of the first big popular images of Satan was uh, from Goth's Faust, uh, which was you know put on stage. And that devil wore red and he captured the stage. And so that oh. kind of a lot of the stage notes from there and advertising kind of spins off of that with that the red devil being kind of the look. Mm-hmm. Did he wear Prada? Too? No, that that's that that little little bit too too pop. So that that kind of works in the Middle Ages, and then you kind of go through the 19th century, and you see a lot of in like advertising and things. You see a very classic, handsome-looking Satan wearing clingy red clothing, and that's kind of the 20th century, 19th century pop devil, which that does kind of feed into the Disney look and feel, but it does definitely go way back further than that. Horns and tail, Alita says, is kind of tied to the Book of Revelations, maybe at first, where you have the serpent. And yeah, the serpent does have quite a number of horns and a tail. So there's that. But all the animalism imagery, I think we're going to take in a different direction. So we can have horns if, if we're going to agree that there's a lot of goat imagery mm-hmm. in this. Horns are great. But yes. the the kind of modern devil's tail where you have a tail and at the end there's like a little reverse heart shape or a reverse diamond the spade tail that's the one that's not goat like no it's a little more scorpiony um or maybe like heraldic wyvern style that might be it it might be a dragon tail hmm i went to reddit thinking (laughs) maybe an answer there the source of all information it's it's that they're they're connecting it to a trident oh 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 oh, uh succubi well it's connected it's also in depictions of succubi okay but why i don't know that's interesting quorum says well it's phallic um that makes sense yeah i can i can buy that kind of uh but the horns let's talk about the horns I don't know, like the goat thing, is it again because, well, there's a sort of agrarian pagan thing going on and also goats are also associated with kind of unrestrained sexuality or id, especially if you think about stories about witches and having sex with goats and goats just don't seem to to have a whole lot of... uh, boundaries (laughs) boundaries <laughs> let's say <laughs> yeah I, I think the goat in the like the 14th century witchcraft scare that definitely kind of feeds into it is like a symbol of caprine lust mm-hmm. um absolutely and the capricious de- devil, mm-hmm. yeah yeah the devil appearing as a goat that totally mm-hmm. makes sense yes absolutely goats are kind of trampy yeah black philip live life deliciously i think there's a reference here i don't have Oh, it's from the movie The Witch. 
Okay. Oh, is that the one in Esperanto? No, the really weird recent one. It's yeah. It's it's yeah. a couple of years ago. It's oh, really good. That's yeah. creepy. That was it's a taken creepy... from actual witch trial transcripts. Interesting. There's a, there's a witch movie in Esperanto. No, that was like uh, that was that weird Mel Gibson one. That was in a uh, Aramaic. No, thank you. Oh, there's no. one in Esperanto too. Uh, Shatner. Shatner did one. And the Incubus. What? Yes. Um, that, Shatner, Esperanto, Incubus. Yes. Let's not go down this road anymore. Oh. Let me just say, Shatner in Esperanto is Shatner at his finest. You just made my weekend. Can't argue with that. But go to horns. Let's, let's go to the horns first. We might be able to take those all the way back to Moses in the Old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. King James Bible. Moses was described as having beams of light from his head. But in the... The Vulgate, which I guess that was the Latin Bible, there was a funny mistranslation, and he had horns instead. And that kind of stuck. Michelangelo showed him with horns, and that kind of took off as an image, Moses with horns. Is that where the depictions of Jews having horns came from because of Moses and that mistranslation? So maybe, um, but it, it caught on in other ways too. Like in Vienna, 1267, I don't know, when was Michelangelo? He's later than that, wasn't he? He's like Renaissance. Um, he was working on the sculpture between 1513 and 1515 and went with horns. Okay. I'm looking at pictures of Moses, like this statue of Moses with horns, and those are legitimately, they're not horns, they're cat ears. If you Google Michelangelo's Moses with horns, the first 27 pages are Neko Moses, Moses with cute little cat ears. Like, I, I, I don't know if these are goat horns. In the late Middle Ages, like, 1250 or so, the Vienna Council says that Jews have to go in public with a horned hat to mark them. And this is definitely not the beginning of anti-Semitism as a cultural thing in in the Middle Ages, but it's one of the more blatant ones. The um, horn hat kind of takes the image of like two little wimples or actual horns, or they have to wear like horns on a lapel label sort of thing, like a badge. In the Middle Ages, there was a very strong association with Jews who just ended up holding on to the dark side of society, like its rage and anger for a very long time, and goats. Maybe because going back to like Matthew, Jesus talks about separating the goats from the sheep and the Christian faith will become the sheep. So everybody else is the goats or something. And this kind of this goat label sticks. And then also a lot of Jewish ritual had goats in it um, as sacrificial animals, as a really great food source. The scapegoat. Yeah. Oh, the scapegoat. I do want to go there. I have like a long-winded aside on the scapegoat. But the the association of Jews and goats, it's very strong in like the the Middle Ages, the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s. You see images of Jews riding goats on our architecture and such. But there's also just kind of this tie of the image of the Jew in the Middle Ages and the devil. And it's very, they don't disassociate well. Judaism is kind of the, the, like it becomes the cultural opposite of Christianity. And they're very other, so strongly other. It does not end until this century. That maybe it didn't end this century either. I was reading like an anti-Semitism fact sheet that describes how Jews were associated with goats and pigs and cows. And it's still kind of in the language now. Mm -hmm. Tails. The devil has a tail. Jews were said to have tails. They hid them under their cloaks very cleverly. Mm -hmm. But that was another thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I never actually knew that. I don't think anybody ever told me in fifth grade, when all proper knowledge is disseminated, that Jews had tails. That one might not have jumped the ocean so well. Oh. I, I don't know. 
But a lot of other kind of devilish imagery was heaped on them. Like there's this concept of the odor of sanctity that you get. That's like when you open up a saint's crypt, it smells like roses and not decay. Good things smelled X. And so Jews, without any real fact, were said to smell bad. The, the, the image of the Jew becomes kind of crushed up against the image of the devil in the Middle Ages. And it's, it doesn't separate. I mean, people would have pictures of the Jew devil. And these were, these were common, common links. So goat horns. And this is something like, yes, witches and goats, the black goat, satyrs, fawns, all these evil things with goats. But for the devil, and I'm looking at a picture of Victoria right now, she has horns on. Yes, very nice. <laughs> right. But these are my these are my natural horns, by the way. No, absolutely. No I filter. can tell. <laughs> like I don't know how to describe it. The horns she has on are kind of pointy and going up. Whereas goat horns are pointy, but they go back. Like they're designed for for ramming, right? I would look at Victoria and I would immediately say these horns are devil horns, not goat horns. So well, they're, car- they're kind of cartoony, but they they are little pointy horns. But even even baby goats, like their little tiny baby goat horns, they oh, they're, they're still so <laughs> yeah they're freaking adorable as they try and ram your little kneecaps. But like our devil horns, uh, let me rephrase this: when I say the devil, I mean specifically the little red devil with the pitchfork and the cute little tail and the miniskirt. Those aren't goat horns. So the devil goes in phases. Jamin and I picked up a book on, um, it was called Damned, A History of the Devil and Illustration, or something along those lines. Mm. And it was just across 400 years or so what the devil looks like, running up to the modern ages in cinema and things like that. And early on, the devil is just kind of very animalistic and bestial looking. He's a hairy person with animal traits, a beak, a weird head, strange clawed feet, a mouth on his groin. I mean, in his groin. Uh, Wait. His groin is a mouth. Uh, his butt is a mouth. I don't know. These were alien ideas. By the way, never Google the phrase devil's anal mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it goes nowhere good. But that kind of played on the fear of sexuality that was very Christian at the time. But he becomes classier and classier. Like through the 1600s, he becomes kind of a romantic figure. And then in the 1920th century, he becomes like the the marketing scheme devil. And I think that maybe the the real out there horns just weren't classy enough. So like if you wanted to be on a cigar box, you needed better horns. Hmm. That's a thought. That's a well, thought. Here's a question. And this is just pure theory, but do these kind of party city horns, are they more similar to the horns on Moses than an actual goat? Well, we should see what the party city Moses costume looks like. <laughs> Sexy Moses. Sex- oh, gosh. I never even <laughs> thought of it. That'd be great. Let's Google for that later and see what we get. Should we finish rounding out the devil with hooves? Or should we oh. move on? I just oh. don't see that hooves are that different from goats. But there is the later innovation of the uh, dapper devil who is wearing human clothing and has like one human foot and a hoof hmm. and or, well, I guess not not and because he doesn't have three feet, a hoof and a chicken foot. Hmm. Yeah, I've seen things like that. That feels like it borrowed from the Roxasha almost. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good. Because they always had that. like mismatched hands and things like that. They're backwards, right? Yeah, things like that. 
But yeah, mm-hmm. the devil and his mismatched feet. Is that just to be alien, to be different and perverse, maybe? A sign of his corruption? I don't I don't know. Aletia says, and I think not entirely accurately, that the devil is associated with um, goat, goat hooves and goat legs because of Pan. And Pan is also a fawn. He also has those legs. And maybe that goes into his, um, like, specifically those little cloven hooves. Maybe? I don't know. But kind of quick Googling it, I think people kind of assert that that's a recent collision of ideas, that the devil as Pan is a response to the late late 19th century um, Victorian pastoral, where Pan got this major revival thing happening. Like if you read The Wind in the Willows towards the end, there's a scene where all the animals go and they, they encounter like the, the, the god Pan in the woods. Mm. Um, it's kind of the dying embers of this. But there was a big, a big back to nature revival in the Victorian era, at least in terms of like art and poetry and things like that. It was, it was kind of twee. Pan became very popular then. And that might be where the Pan as Devil Association kind of came into its full. Because like a Christian reaction to that or a popular culture reaction to that, I don't, I don't know. But I think looking back at the art from that history of Satan illustration book, yeah, you don't see a lot of like specifically goat-legged Satans um, at all. They, they're bestial, but they're not goat-legged for a very long time or they're not goat-legged at all, really. Interesting. Um, so that might be like 1800s and after that that's a thing. I, I, there's probably odd, odd ones out where it is, is the thing. Can I, t- can I say something about chicken feet? Sure. <laughs> so it turns out that's a regional, that's potentially a regional affectation. Uh-huh. Um, it seems like it's a Southwestern thing or Mexican folklore thing. In fact, on Folklore Thursday, there's a story about the man with chicken feet who is oh. seducing young girls at a dance. And uh, he ends up stealing one particular young lady's soul. And everybody remarks like at the fact that this uh, gentleman had chicken feet. So I'm not sure why. If that's what it takes to be popular at dances, I'm buying some chicken shoes. <laughs> I mean, you do see devils wearing devils with claw feet. That is a, a frequent thing. I mean, those are mm-hmm. really creepy looking and strange and it marks them as animalistic. Yes, absolutely. Moving forward. We're going to talk about the scapegoat. The scapegoat. The, yes. Scapegoat. So, yes, the scapegoat. The scapegoat was a Yom Kippur tradition where a community would sacrifice a goat to uh, atone for their sins. And, and, and that become, like, eventually, I'm not sure about this, but initially the goat was sacrificed. But there were times where, and I think this became the norm later, where the goat would, act, would actually escape. Uh-huh. Ergo, the scapegoat. Right. But the goat would be, there were often two goats. There would be the one for the Lord and then one for, um, is it Azazel? Something like that, Azazel. Azazel. I'm not sure. So, which is described, at least in this source, as the name of a rocky headland off which one goat having the sins of the community symbolically placed upon it would be thrown. And then the other one would be slaughtered as part of the regular Yom Kippur rituals. But um, so that would bring atonement to the community. That's where so, the term scapegoat comes from. Azazel is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I really, he's just neat. Um, he's the head of the goat demons in some versions. The, there's a mountain, Mount Azazel, that is named after him or co-named with him. I don't know. Sounds like maybe 
Jewish commentators later on described Azazel as the wilderness, as like a place name for the wilds. Hmm. But uh, you can roll him back a very long time. Um, the ritual that you describe is, just, is t- they talk about it in Leviticus. And in that scenario, two goats, you'd cast dice over them and one would be sacrificed to Yahweh. And the other would be laden with the sins of the people and sent out into the woods or the wilderness um, or thrown off of the cliff of Mount Azazel, one of the, one of the three. Mm-hmm. So Azazel has this kind of feeling of like maybe that's the remnant of some dualistic ritual because the two go two ways. And they're both sort of sacrificed. One is sacrificed to God and the other is driven out of the community, um, mm-hmm. the scapegoat. If you roll back Azazel a few hundred years going to the Canaanites, you see a place where the god El, and Israel is the people of the god of El, El had a number of children, kids, sub-gods, I don't know, like a dozen or so. One of them was Yahweh. One of them was Azaz. The people of Judea were assigned to Yahweh as his, like, his tribe. Now, the Jew- Jewish faith kind of became, uh, this, is, this is a you know, originally kind of polytheistic. Polytheism fades into monolatry, which is celebrating one god over the rest of the gods in a pantheon as like your favorite god. That's kind of where they were. And then it rolls into monotheism uh, down the road, a long time down the road. But for a long, for a while, there's this kind of odd place where there's God, there's multiple gods, but God is just the best god. And that's kind of where Yahweh sits in relation with the Jewish people. So Azazel is sometimes described as one of the Gregori. And these are the watchers. These are the angel demons that kind of fell because they let themselves be corrupted by humanity and like slept with the ladies and taught humanity bad things. Kind of that Prometheus myth, but also very tied to the story of the Garden of Eden, where the serpent, the serpent gives wisdom to Eve, sort of, kind of. In the Apocalypse of Abraham, the serpent's name is Azazel. And it describes him, which this is talking about what does the devil look like? The serpent in the garden is described as, let's see, where is it? A dragon with hands and feet like a man on his back, six wings on his on the right and six on the left. So hands and feet like a man, lots of wings. That's the dragon of the, of the Garden of Eden. And it's likely Azazel. So I think that Azazel being kind of this, for a while in a dualistic relationship with Yahweh, like he becomes the demon of the wilderness and Yahweh is the God of the people. This is a very kind of binary pair. Uh, And that fades over time as we get rid of binaries and dualism and go to pure monotheism. But since Azazel is associated with goats, he's the head of the goat demons. I think this is a place where maybe that didn't give the devil his goat legs, but they were probably really comfortable when he found them in the 18th century. Hmm. I, I kind of put this together in my head. It may not be valid, but in Matthew uh, 4, 1, there's the scene where uh, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he meets the devil. He's considered the ultimate scapegoat and the last scapegoat being sent into the wilderness and talking with quite possibly Azazel. Hmm. So from now on, I'm going to think of that as the story of Jesus going to talk to his crazy trailer park uncle. <laughs> Anyway, Azazel, long, long aside there. I love it. I love the idea of a scapegoat because it feeds into my my theory that a lot of religion is just sort of outsourcing responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of what this is, because if you have two goats and one goat 
gets sacrificed. The other goat, in some stories, the goat is thrown off a cliff and other is just released into the wilderness. It's like, okay, goat, fend for yourself in these delicious rocky twigs and trees and, mm. you know, goat haven, right? So it's like, okay, you, the goat, who bears the entirety of the sins of Israel are free. Okay, bye, you know, bye. Go, go that way. Don't come back. You can't be part of the herd anymore. You have to be out there, right? So all you have to do to gain freedom is just bear the sins of everybody else. Mm-hmm. And you're a goat, so who cares? It sounds a lot like Jesus. <laughs> oh, wow. Let's see, gimpy Satan. Right. Well, if he has a chicken foot. Well, so I think <laughs> gimpy Satan... I think it's a big 1,200 to 1,400 thing. The big gimpy Satan is the one in the Inferno, where uh, Satan has plunged from the top of the heavens all the way into the center of the earth, and he's just crippled. He's like embedded in the icy icy lake of Cocytus, I think. And he's, he's this brainless monstrosity. It just spends all of his time endlessly chewing on Cassius, Brutus, and Judas, Forever. Like, that's what he does. He's, he's, he's mindless. He has no agency. He just kind of vaguely waves his wings and endlessly chews on these sinners. And actually, Dante and Virgil have to climb over his, like, hairy legs to get to the next visit, place they're going to visit, which is purgatory. So he's just useless and broken. And I think there's a tradition there in the Middle Ages of useless and broken Satan. Maybe because they didn't need dualism at all, because they had Christ triumphant and having an active, scary... Satan was not something that was desirable. Ooh, that makes sense. Um, it's It's been written, uh, Satan loses, the devil loses, ultimately he wins. Why bother showing him having any power at all? We already know he lost. Right. So why why bother? So the Satan room becomes like a major tourist destination when you're on your personal tour of hell. Tundal, I love Tundal, uh, goes to visit the Satan room, and he sees that Satan is this vast black creature, 150 feet long, with a thousand arms, each one of which with 20, 20 fingered hands with 60 foot long swords on their nails, etc., etc. And his Satan is tied to a grill and being roasted forever by demons. Not an, an, an unenviable place to be. Hildegard of Bingen says that she saw Satan as being a black worm covered in bristles with five bodies, one head, I think that's right, I'm not sure. His skull was crushed and dislocated, and he was chained and wounded, so he couldn't move around. The nun St. Francis of Rome says that she saw Satan, a huge Satan, that was so big that he sprawled across like three levels of hell, and he was crowned with like a, a deer horn tiara sort of thing with horns on his horns, but he was chained to hell itself, except for like his tail or leg that was also chained to a giant dragon, which again, doesn't sound fun. And there's others of these things, these like these broken Satans. This is an image. So gimpy devil. Yeah. And, and Dante, he's, he's frozen in the lake, like up to his waist. He's frozen in the lake. He can't move. He can only chew on Judas, Brutus and Brutus and Cassius, who were the, the, the big assassins in uh, Rome. Well, it's traitors. That's what the, Tra- the traitors. bottom level of And the yeah. difference is Judas is chewed on head first. Well, everyone else is chewed on feet first to showing hmm. the level of, of traitorism. So. Well, yeah, of course. That makes perfect hmm. sense. Hmm. 
One thing I like about this particular story and this particular Satan is that it's picked up in Dungeons and Dragons later on, because Asmodeus is actually a puppet or like a mask for the real devil, who is a broken coaddle, like a feathered serpent, hiding in the basement of Avernus. Uh, he used to be a real coaddle, and like his twin was uh, Jezreel, and they created the world, but he rebelled, rebelled, he, he rebelled. And got flung <laughs> down and broke into the bottom level of hell and is like broken and trying to mend his forces there. So that's kind of directly stolen from Dante. Wow. I didn't know that. It's hmm. really obscure. I didn't even know that either. So how do we get to the sexy devil? Party City. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say Milton on that probably. Because mm -hmm. like 1400s... Um, Get, get, when we get to the Renaissance, we get the the, the stage presentation of the devil, um, Faust, very influential. We just said that. And then Milton's sexy devil comes up, and that's the, the rebellious devil. I feel like devils get a lot more human after that for a time. Maybe that's just the quality of the woodcutting that's involved. I don't know. But there's a vogue for romantic devils, and that seems to carry a very long time, possibly to the current era where we have a stronger sort of dualistic devil versus God sort of relationship going on now. But I don't know where the advent of the sexy devil specifically came from. I'm guessing it came from the stage and from Milton. One, one aspect, uh, Lucifer was the shining light, the mm -hmm. most beautiful of beautiful, whatchamacallit. And while we may not specifically say, you know, devil equals sexy, he starts out from the beginning as one of the most beautiful creatures, a shining light, etc. Yeah. Whether that changed in the fall, who knows? But in the beginning, he was beautiful. Whether beauty is the same as sexy, I, I'll pass on that one. <laughs> well, I think canonically, like that's a safer devil than the weird monstrous ones. I think the only really strong description of the devil in the Bible is just the enemy comes as a roaring lion. He doesn't really have a form. I mean, there's the serpent, but that's a different creature. The Antichrist, he's a charmer. So I don't know. In the apocalypse, as you get some very weird creatures, those weren't necessarily the devil. They were maybe a devil, a, a monster. But the Satan adversary, what we think of as the devil now, that really wasn't a thing in like 380 so much. Hmm. Yeah. I like the, I like the connection to Lucifer, Morningstar, as heading towards the sexy devil. Are y'all Sandman fans? The comic book Sandman? Oh, that is a really good devil. Yeah. Yes. He, he's a, uh -huh. he's a good devil. His Azazel is interesting too. It's just kind of all mouths, no goat. <laughs> oh, but there is a goat connection there. It's a weird one. Mm -hmm. um, Go on. So I do, I do like that devil. That is that in my head, that is Lucifer, the light bearer, the Sandman yeah. devil. Mm -hmm. If you read the dreaming, which is the spinoff comic that's currently being published, there is a dive into like the major demon arcana where we meet a lot of the lords of hell. Maybe we'll talk mm -hmm. about hell hierarchies later on. And it's just kind of this free, this rhyming list of demons. But one of them is Lawrence and they call him Larry. Um, and he's got weird horns and things like that. And they make fun of him and say he stinks. But that demon goes back to at least the 1800s where it occurs in um, De Plancy's uh, Dictionary Infernal as Lawrence. And Lawrence has goat horns. He's a goaty demon. Um, so you can find kind of some associations between him and Azazel if you go back into Google far enough. I don't know about actual mythology, but Lawrence is is a horned goaty demon that goes back a while. He looks okay. really weird. He's like Hell's Pimp. 
kind of. He, he's the keeper of the orgies and the sabbats, which may tie him to the goat devil of the witches sabbat sort of thing. Sabbat? Sabbat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Lawrence. I have to I have to catch up with the dreaming. I haven't I haven't read that yet. Oh. <laughs> it goes in circles. So the question of what does the devil look like? I think it emphasizes that there is the devil. And if you go through the Middle Ages and the art there, you see lots of demons. This concept of like diablery, of just like these crowds of demons that kind of flood out of the hellmouth and dance all over the stage. There's lots of demons. The devil, though, getting an identity, he kind of has to escape from a lot of baggage to kind of become his own person in, in I guess, the, the 1100s-ish. If you just Google the devil, it starts out, who are the seven devils? And it lists them... Lucifer, Mammon, Asmodeus, uh, Leviathan, Beelzebub, Satan, and Belphegor. And each of these is tied to one of the seven deadly sins. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. So do we want to go down this path of are there seven devils or is there one devil? Well, so the demonic hierarchies are kind of like academic games in a way. Like, you know, there's not really a canonical list of collective plurals, like a flock of geese or a murder of crows. That's something that people with too much lead ink on their hands would do is for fun. Um, and I think the hierarchies of hell kind of fits into that. The names are pulled from grimoires and things like that. But it seems like there's just a lot of academic fiddling to kind of make to build out these lists and such. And maybe the reality, if that's even a word is it seems like it's a layer of sauce poured over something older by a more recent cook. Beep, uh, inserting a note from the future. What I really wanted to say here is that as we kind of looked at in this episode, devils tend to evolve organically. And this concept of the seven deadly sins devils is really like after the fact pasting over something that's already there. It just didn't quite feel right to me, but it's still worth the discussion. Beep. Okay, mm-hmm. and that that is fair. I mean, if if we had just yeah, had to describe seven deadly sins and then do all this, but then in this list we've got Lucifer, Beelzebub, and Satan, and then some other lesser knowns. So, yeah. who is the devil? Is it Lucifer or is it Satan? Yeah, is the devil a thing? It's a devil, and I mean, Azazel is Satan in certain versions. Satan is just the adversary in other stories, and he's an angel of God until like late in the Old Testament. The serpent is its own entity. And then the other ones on that list, some of them were just like deposed pantheons from other from other Canaanite legends. Baal was another member of the Canaanite pantheon. Sometimes the big beasts make that list, like Bahamut is on that list, Baphomet. Baphomet. Uh, Leviathan. They make the cut as major devils. And other times those are just brute forces. It really depends on who built the list, which is why I don't know if there's a canon list of, of seven deadly sins devils or not, but like these big epic dukes of hell. Yeah, there's a set of those. They're not a, it's not a very big set. Can I ask a, 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 a question that I've been pondering for centuries or at least decades is are the seven dwarves aligned with the seven deadly sins? Let me Google that answer for you real quick. <laughs> Sloth, sleepy. Mm hmm. Grumpy is wrath. Mm-hmm. Happy is uh, that one throws me though. It's hard to connect happy to a deadly sin. Could lust. It be lust? <laughs> <laughs> well, with that nose. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't know. I've been I've been puzzling puzzling this one because I feel like that's a group a great group Halloween costume sometime. Okay, the seven deadly dwarves. Mm-hmm. Okay, straight from Reddit. Sleepy as so sloth. You know it's true. Yeah, it's sleepy as sloth. Grumpy as wrath. Doc as pride. Happy as lust because I'm happiest when I'm lustful. Uh, bashful as gluttony. What? Sneezy as envy and dopey as greed. I think eh, there's no. It doesn't scan. Doesn't scan. Yeah. yeah. It's as dopey as innocent. It's he's, got he's seven upvotes. I mean. Oh, <laughs> wow. Well then. <laughs> the seven deadly upvotes. Uh, but for now, I think that's all we have time for on this topic. So thank you for joining us and uh, we'll see you in hell. Bye. I'll be, I'll be wearing uh, a miniskirt. I'll have chicken legs so (laughs) (laughs) this podcast is copyright 2020 by the dispatchist and is creative commons you're welcome to reuse with attribution Look for us on your favorite podcast app. Say hi to us on Twitter or Gmail at the Dispatchist, no spaces. Check out our website, dispatch.ist, for more episodes, show notes, and a variety of hellish resources.